today about a subject that's uh, right in the headlines, and it's the three deadly sins of leadership. And the headlines right now are, uh, there's a pastor, Bishop Eddie Long, and his 25,000-member congregation is going through a trial right now because he's been accused by four uh, young men of homosexual conduct and bribing them and luring them in to a relationship from their early age. And uh, at, the, uh, at his church, in, in front of this congregation, he didn't uh, deny all of the charges. He admitted that he's not a perfect person and that he said he's going to fight and, and do his best for this uh, to turn out good. So what we need to do is we need to pray that God's truth will be revealed and that most importantly God's people in that church will be protected. When I uh, first was in ministry, you know, hearing about people falling was really sad. You know, it wasn't a, a, a good thing at all. You know, it was, dear God, what's going on? I'm looking up to these men. They're my heroes. And then as I got into ministry, uh, you know, a little bit further on, I became really skeptical, kind of like of everybody, you know, and so I felt like I was better than everybody. I fasted a whole lot. I prayed, and I lived holy, and the people I was with were really holy, and so I began to kind of look down on those people, and I was really harsh towards them, and at this stage in the, the ministry, which may even be new for some of you, because you might have seen me coming out of that harshness and still carrying some of that with me, at this stage, I feel I have the closest to the heart of God, which is broken which is broken. I'm not happy at all. I, I don't have the I told you so spirit, even though watching ministries like him that, that have a little bit different of a style than ours, sometimes we question where everything is going and how it's being done. But at this stage, it's not an I told you so. And I think anyone, as I've grown in the Lord, that kind of has that I told you so spirit doesn't have the, the heart of God. Because obviously the man had a call on his life and, and has a call on his life, and obviously the devil doesn't like that. And the more he can disgrace the body of Christ, we all hurt. We all hurt. And there's an old Jewish saying in the Talmud that if one of us hurts, all of us hurts. And if you've done it to one of us, you've done it to the nation of us. And so we need to understand to pray for this man, to pray for his uh, healing, his restoration. And if it is similar to what happened with Ted Haggard out there at New Life Church in Colorado, that he would come forth, he would confess it, he wouldn't try to hide it, and that his church would do the right thing as New Life did, and they got a good pastor and he wasn't able to come back, and they kept moving forward and protected the sheep. And so we pray for biblical wisdom in that situation. But uh, not that that headline actually uh, gave me the message today. I pray and seek the Lord, and I got the message. And actually, when I was coming up, you're like literally right here, and, and we were doing that transition. It just occurred to me as I was saying the title to myself, as I was going to say it to you, this is exactly what Nancy asked me about just moments ago, and I've been keeping up with on the news. Um, so there's no coincidence in God's kingdom, but it wasn't as a result of this. It's just uh, you're always going to have situations like that going on in ministry, and you need to know what I'm going to tell you today because I believe it's from the Word of God, and it will protect you the rest of your ministerial life. So today's lesson is three deadly sins of leadership. Turn with me to James chapter 3, verse 1. James chapter 3, verse 1. The old-timers used to say, Gold, gals, and glory would be the downfall of a minister. Gold, gals, and glory. I Meaning you go after the money, you're going to fall. You go after the gals or the girls, you're going to fall. And if you go after his glory, you're going to get in trouble. Gold, gals, and glory. Today is going to be similar to that, but a little bit different. Turn with me to James chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Okay, so you and I should not take teaching the word of the Lord lightly. We should not take teaching as something that we can just get up and do. As the old timers as well used to say, some were sent and some just took the microphone and went. Okay? Some were sent, and some just took the microphone and went. You want to make sure that you are divinely called, and that is of God. That doesn't come from man. But you want to be ordained. 
The Bible talks about them ordaining elders in the cities that they went to. You want to receive an ordination. Now, technically, could you go on without it? Yes, if there was no one to ordain you and you had the Word of God, Sola Scriptura, you could be a faithful priest unto the Lord and preach His gospel. But you are in a time and age when there's many trained men and women of God, much like it was in the church uh, in its infant stages, what we call the early church. And, and such fathers as Ignatius, in his letter to the... Uh, the Magnations or the um, Magnumums, if I could, let me get the name right for you, because I want you guys to see it. Nancy, do you remember the name? We, Magnesians. There we go. I couldn't even, uh, it already came to me before I even got to it. Ignatius' letter to the Magnesians, he emphasizes the great uh, honor it is to operate under divine authority and with uh, authority given to you by men that God has given it to them. And here's his, uh, here's his letter, the Epistle of Ignatius to the Magnesians, M-A-G-N-E-S-I-A-N-S. And this is what he says in chapter 3. Hallelujah for phones that are Wi-Fi capable. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Like I'm looking at this thing right now, and that was just like a little Holy Ghost drop, not even in the notes. Amen. Chapter 3 of Ignatius' letter to the Magnesians. Now it becomes... Uh, now it becomes you also not to treat your bishop too familiarly on account of his youth. So don't just treat him too familiar because he's young. That's what uh, he is saying. Ignatius is a disciple of John, by the way. But yield him all reverence, having respect to the power of God the Father, as I have even known holy presbyters do, not judging rashly, from the manifest youthful appearance of their bishop, but as being themselves prudent in God, submitting to him, or rather not to him, but the Father of Jesus Christ, the bishop of us all, it is therefore fitting that you should, after no hypocritical fashion, obey your bishop. So don't obey your bishop just as a hypocrite, but obey him as you obey the Father in heaven, who is your great bishop, in honor of him who has wired us to do so. Since he that does not so deceives himself by such conduct, the bishop that is visible, but seeks to mock him that is invisible. So a little King James word here on the church fathers. But hey, if you don't serve the bishop you see, you're not really serving the bishop you don't see. God, that's what it's saying right here. And to continue on, he then says, All such conduct has reference not to men, but to God, who knows all secrets. It is fitting not only to be called Christians, but in reality. As so indeed give only the title of bishop, but do all things without him. No such person seems to me to be not a possessor of good conscience, seeing that they are steadfastly gathered together according to the commandment. So it's saying don't only just be a Christian when you're around your bishop, but be a Christian when you're not around your bishop. Now that just shows you the honor right there that we as Christians are to show to our authorities above us. And so in the early church, the way that they had um, the apostolic authority passed down is that, first of all, you had the first 12 apostles, which meant the founders of the church, minus Judas, then Matthias took his place, which I really believe was Paul, but that's okay. So you got Paul and the other 12, and they're going out doing the work of the ministry. Now they appoint other people to be in charge of the churches while they're gone. You see, like Titus, he's in charge of Crete, uh, Timothy, he's in charge of Ephesus, and etc., Excuse me. Now, these men were to appoint elders, and those groups of elders became known as presbyters. And then the presbyters worked with the deacons, and we see that in 1 Timothy chapter 3, as well as in today's message. So the figure that would oversee them, like Timothy in this example, would be the bishop to the elders who made the presbytery and the deacons in the congregation. Do you understand? So it was a high honor, number one, to be appointed of Jesus to be one of his twelve. We know how serious that was. You don't take that lightly, as James chapter 3 says. And who is James? James is the half-brother of Jesus. And who is his full brother? Who is James's full brother? Jude. Thank you. Jude's full brother is James. And James and Jude are the half-brother of Jesus. Now, when you were first appointed by Jesus, you knew not to take it lightly. Now, after they went out and made bishops to oversee their churches with presbyters, they weren't to take that lightly, nor were the people that then were going out being disciples of disciples all the way until our day. And so today, here you are. You're being trained up by other bishops. We call them pastors today. Elders in the gift of teaching and authority. And now 
now you're being raised up to be elders and teachers and authority. And along with the Assemblies of God, which uh, the School of Urban Missions is, and myself personally, we believe that women can be elders. And our example of that is in Romans chapter 15, that we see that Phoebe is a deacon in the house of God. And so we know that if you can be a deacon, you can also be an elder. And then that the gifts as in the Holy Spirit come in Acts chapter 2 upon men and women. If we have the same salvation, the same gifts, we can have the same offices. And we see that displayed not only in uh, Phoebe's life by having the office of a deacon, we see this in the paired relationship of Priscilla and Aquila, both teaching Apollos as leaders to him, so as a husband and wife team. And then we also see that... um, John writes to the lady that has the church in her house, and we know that if you had a church in your house, you were an elder of that church. And so I believe that Second John, where he refers to the woman who has a church within her house, as I can turn there right now with you. Go ahead and just turn it so you can see women we affirm, as the Assemblies of God does. The elder, verse 1 of Second John chapter 1, the elder to the chosen lady and her children whom I love in the truth. And we know that these children are not children of natural birth. They're her spiritual children because he goes on to talk about verse 4. And it's given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth just as the Father commands us. And then he goes on further down and he says, verse 8, watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. What is she working for? Spiritual children in the kingdom of God. And then to go on down to the end, verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not um, take him into your house or welcome him. Well, where did they have church in that time? They had church in the house. And so why would it be uh, wrong to bring them in? Because that's where the false teachers would come. Uh, As the Bible says, deceiving weak-willed women, heavy laden with sin. Those are who the cults go after a lot. And that's why a lot of uh, people convert to uh, Jehovah Witness and Mormonism out of Catholicism which is a guilt-ridden religion. So Catholicism actually breeds for the cults. But think of it this way. Women have the same salvation in the Bible, neither male nor female. They get the same gifts, Acts chapter 2, upon your sons and daughters. And then, therefore, they get the same offices. Like I said, Phoebe was deacon in Romans chapter 15, chosen lady ruling over the house and the church that she has with her. So now today you are called to be elders and leaders in the church, or what we call in, in, in my modern-day church, pastors, overseers, bishops. You will be in a ministry where you make other leaders, so you will have a presbytery with you. Now, you don't want to give the deacons the control so they can deek around and kick you out the church. Be careful with that, okay? I say that for those watching by webcast. We don't believe in the uprise of the deacons voting out the pastors. Amen? But just to do it biblically, imitating the Bible, you'll be like a Timothy figure. You'll have somebody over you, probably like a Pastor Joe figure, Pastor Joe will be overseeing you like Paul oversaw Timothy. Then you, as the Timothy, are then going to have elders that you raise up in your ministry. And then those elders are going to form a presbytery that together you'll govern the church with. And then with the deacons serving and cleaning tables and helping out, you will reach disciples. Amen? I want to talk to you now about three deadly sins in ministry that you'll face every one of us. Every one of us will face this. I I was almost going to say every day. It may not be every day, but it will certainly be something you face. The first one is sexual immorality. Uh, Sexual immorality we see in the life of David and Bathsheba, who had a greater heart for God than David. I mean, David was told he was a man after God's own heart. Slayed Goliath. He was chosen by God to be a king over Saul. He went out and slayed thousands on thousands. He was the hero of renown. People saying his praises when he came back from battle. He had mighty men that were so loyal for him that when he said, I thirst, they went and crossed battle lines to get him a drink of water. Think about how awesome David was. David wrote what is the longest book in the Bible as according to chapters, the book of Psalms, 150 chapters. He's known as the great lover of God. He also holds the offices, as we talked about last week in Psalms 24, he holds the office of king. He was also a priest. He could carry the covenant and be in the Ark of the Covenant's presence, which was only for the Levites and the priesthood. And he had the prophetical gift upon him, probably prophesying as much, I don't know, we have to count verse by verse, to Isaiah. 
Isaiah about the coming of Christ. But we do know this. He is the greatest type and shadow of Christ. That's why he's called the son of David. Jesus is called the son of David. So what an awesome man this was. But what did he do? Fell into sexual immorality. Now we see today this this devastation coming in the form of homosexuality. Because the Bible says we live in perverse times. So before, you know, it was a man cheating on his wife with a woman. Now we've continually heard uh, about men cheating with other men. This is something that we see is a result of our culture. Because the more sick the world gets, it seems like the church gets the same sickness. You know, so hachu, you have a cold, I may get it. Our culture is this sick and disgusting right now. And when the church falls into sin, they don't just fall into a little bit. It seems they fall into a whole lot. Not saying there's degrees of sin, but how many know the consequence of having a heterosexual relationship and the consequence of having a homosexual relationship is a lot different on your mind and your soul. It actually confuses who you are. So it's a deeper perversion, and that's why God judged Sodom and Gomorrah. Other, other nations were having sex outside of wedlock. But why was Sodom and Gomorrah so uh, destruct? Why was it so despicable in God's eyes that he would destroy it? Because he knew that when you go against nature, the very fabric of who you are in your DNA, and you convince yourself and let your body lead you into that gross per, uh, uh, perversion, that you will bring a curse upon this earth, not only through the diseases that follow that type of behavior, but by ending population growth itself to be fruitful and multiply it's actually spitting in God's face and it's denying the image that God has given you because it says he made us in his image male and female did he make us so that when two come together becoming one they represent Christ not the one with each other amen sexual perversion look at the scripture in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 3 and then I'll share with you some personal things even from this church that many know about but sexual perversion has been uh, the, the temptation that seems to cause more people to fall than anyone else that I've seen any other temptation. What's so bad about it? Ephesians 5.3 says, But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. So why is it so wrong to be sexually immoral? It's wrong because it's improper for God's holy people. See, God made sexuality to be holy, to be pure, to be separate from the way the world does it. Perversion itself means to distort the cause of something. means if I take a hammer and I try to use it as a screwdriver, I'm perverting the hammer. I'm perverting its purpose. And perversion means to do something outside of its purpose. And so why sexual perversion is so wrong is because God did not purpose us to have sex like animals, to have sex without control, to be led along by our own lust, to be controlled by inner desires that burn within us. Paul even called it a burning. God called us to live holy, to subject these things to his call, to subject them to his plan so that we can be holy people to God. Now, in my own personal experience as a pastor, I was just counting down the other day with our elders and deacons in our uh, leadership meeting that we have had 10 Leaders have to come out of leadership and Metro Praise within the last 12 months. And all 10 of the leaders that had to come out of leadership, guess what all of their sins were? Sexual immorality. So 10 out of the 10 in our ministry that had to sit down this last year. Now to understand how many leaders we have for those watching us, we have approximately 50 leaders and about 60 plus in training altogether. So we have about 60 some leaders all being trained and we have right now about 50. So, you know, 10 out of 50, 10 out of 50, what is that? A, a fifth, 20%, thank you. 20% had to step down. Because of sexual immorality. And I began looking at the years that I was in Bible college. And I began to look at what caused men to fall. Sexual immorality. Then I looked at the time where I began to see my friends in ministry. We're not really friends, but mentors. I remember one time, and some of you have heard the story, I was being mentored by a man at all-night prayer meetings. That's where I used to go after delivering pizzas when I was first saved, before I went to Bible college. And, uh, you know, his wife worked a full-time job, and he was there. But this assistant, this woman, was always with him. 
Now, I was a young believer. I didn't know any better. So when I would meet Pastor Tom, there was Pastor Tom, and there was his assistant. And it would be the three of us going out to lunch, and then the three of us going here, and then the three of us going here. Well, eventually I went to Bible college, I matured in the Lord, and I realized that that relationship was unhealthy. Well, time went on, and I found out that he left his wife, and he married that woman. You see, that's what happens in ministry. I remember another time when I was living in New Orleans, one of my closest friends was visiting me. We had just done ministry all day. He said, man, I just feel like going out and getting some of those poor boys. I want to go out and get one. Do you want some? I said, sure, you know, go to the gas station. Well, he went out, and I didn't see him for a while. I'm sitting there waiting in the apartment, and all of a sudden, he comes back. His face is white. He's terrified. And I said, what's going on, man? What happened? No poor boys in his hand. No, no food. And you know what he said? He said, I went to Bourbon Street, and I went to a strip joint. He said, it's been tugging on my heart so hard lately. He said, I went to the strip joint. He said, but it didn't end there. He said, I brought somebody home from the strip joint, uh, from the strip joint into my car. And he said, I was about ready to have sex with this person. He said, I promise you I didn't. But I then asked him to get out of my car, and I came back home. This was one of my closest friends. And I remember saying to him, you're going to have to call your mentor. You're going to have to receive the discipline. We were both in full-time ministry. My friend, sexual perversion can come at any time to anyone here. We know that we teach here Gary Chapman's book to our married couples, The Five Love Languages. You don't even intend at times to even fall in love with the people that you do. You could start spending time with them. You could start having imaginations about them. You could start to act them out in little ways, start to get a little closer to them. You begin to uh, fantasize, and then once the opportunity lends itself to you, you could do something that crosses the line. And then before you know it, you've become comfortable, and you've kind of already indulged in taking a little dip of the whipped cream on top so why not have the whole cake now and then before you know it now you've become deceptive and now you have a choice to make do i tell everybody this is who i am this is what we've done or do we hide it and the thing that we've seen in our church is that most people love to hide it because they're convinced that if i hide it it will get better but all it does is it gets worse and the devil loves it when you hide it because you get to draw more people to your ministry during this time of your hiding so as you're walking along in life you're carrying a keg of dynamite and it's just like in the cartoon it's it's leaking the the, the powder trail wherever you you go and they're thinking you're okay you're thinking that really nothing's going to happen to you maybe it's going to be forgotten about but the devil is just waiting to set you up for the greatest fall because if you would have confessed it at its earliest stages yes it would have been tough yes it would have been hard but it wouldn't be as hard as it gets the further you go without confessing it and that's what we've seen in our own ministries that people want to hide it And they want to make excuses for it. And the biggest excuse that I hear for sexual immorality is that God forgave us. I prayed to the Lord and He forgave us. But you see, my friends, you're a teacher now. You're in Bible college. You're being held to higher standards. Those in this ministry are being held to higher standards. And so it's not okay now for you to break your covenant, to break your vows. It's not okay for me to go cheat on my wife and say, I don't have to tell her because I asked for forgiveness. Well, I'm forgiven. And God knows. No, because there was a covenant that I made. There was an agreement that I made with her. And I have broken that covenant. And when leaders, you make a covenant to the school, and you make a covenant to this ministry or the ministry that you're in, and you fall into sexual immorality, your repentance now is not just a matter of private issue. It's a matter of public issue. You need to repent to your leaders what you've done and then suffer the consequences of whatever you've done. And if you're a part of a good church, they will restore you. Because my friend who did make that great error was restored. You can be restored. We've heard about people in the 80s and the time when the gospel franchise was big and in charge, you know, and, and you would make a lot of money off televangelists. And we heard about Jim Baker and how he had a toilet made of gold and an air-conditioned doghouse and how he sinned and he lost his integrity. But over time, he repented in jail. He accepted Jesus back into his heart. He went into the Dream Center under Tommy Barnett's leadership, and now he's living in ministry. Whether or not you agree with he can be back in ministry, that's up to you. But we see that now at least he's living for the Lord. 
I'll tell you one thing that I know that I fear the, the Lord over, which I see is popular today, is where ministers will divorce their wives and remarry and go on as if nothing happened. I do have a problem with that. I don't see how that can be biblical because it doesn't show any real true remorse for one's sin. And it almost gives the idea that whatever God says we can't do, as long as we say we're sorry, we can do it. So God says, I can't do it. But if I do it and I say I'm sorry, I'm okay. I want you to make a covenant with your eyes, gentlemen, that you're not going to fall into sexual immorality. And there's three ways that it happens. Write these down. One, two, three. The first way is the battle of the mind. This is where uh, we're talking about in James, further on in chapter 1, we see that uh, sin starts with the lustful desires that come from your own flesh. That it's not the devil himself, it's you. Because how many know right now, the devil can tempt you with things, and they're not even tempting. Right now, Jared, would you please demonstrate this for us? Jared, would you please stand up? Would you please turn around? There you go. I am not tempted by that. That does not tempt me. The devil could put that in my mind with whipped cream, with cherries, with uh, things from that store that they always uh, put on commercials that sells those women's garments and men's toys and whatever else they sell their sex toys. What's the name of that place? Lover's Lane, thank you. We all know it, gentlemen, because that's when we know we have to turn our head during those commercials. So if he went to Lover's Lane... And he got buttered up and he did everything he was supposed to do. It still would not work. But right now, his fiance, Sue Ellen, is fighting the burning. Right now. Right now, she's calling the fire department. They're coming and putting out the fire because that's what Mama wants. Mama wants a piece of the Jared pie. But that's her temptation. Before I got married, Nancy was my temptation. And if you're not married, it could be anybody and anything. And even if you are married, it could be anybody, anything. So the first thing that the Bible says in James, verse 13, when tempted, no one should say, God has tempted me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each one is tempted by his own evil desire. So the first part of sexual perversion, like any sin, starts with your evil desire. So it starts in the mind. It starts with you beginning to doubt uh, God's purity. Oh, I don't know if I can live pure. Everybody feels this way because it comes so natural. It's a part of your human instinct to be fruitful and multiply. And then what begins to happen is you'll have thoughts of lust. Now, the Bible considers this sin. And by the way, all three stages are still considered sin. But the issue is, is that each three stages have different levels of consequence. Let's say, for example, I was giving these in murder. The first one would be a thought of anger. Yes, that's a sin. The second one would be punching somebody. That's a sin. It's taking it a step further. The third one, actually killing somebody. Well, each one in God's economy, in God's world, that is sin. In the kingdom of God, that's sin. It's all the sin of murder. But each one has a different consequence. So the first stage is in your mind. Now here is where I believe each one of you should be every day of your life. The battle for your mind. And you can live pure and holy. But let's say you have a bad day. And I'm not talking about taking sin lightly. I'm just being realistic. If you have a bad day, you want to keep it in your mind. Okay, you're walking down the street, gentlemen, you see something, you go too far, you've imagined her naked, you've pictured yourself having sex. Well, at that moment, stop, repent, get it right, be pure, and live in the fear of God. It's okay. You don't take sin lightly. It's not okay you sin, but it's okay there. The consequence isn't that big. You're just being forgiven and changed and being made more to look like Christ. And over time, you should be more like Christ in this area of your mind than the time you got saved. You should be continually being trained. Transformed. I'm not making an excuse for the sin. I'm just saying, if you do sin, repent, mean it, get rid of it, cut off the ways that you are being tempted, and stop it. There it is. But realistically, that's the battle of the mind. Every man will face that for the rest of his life. And if he doesn't face it with women, he'll face it with something else, and that's even of a deeper problem, okay? But whether it's homosexuality, pedophilia, bestiality, you stop it in the mind. And if you sin in the mind, you repent quickly. But what's the next one? 
Second one is sex with yourself. Now you see what's going on is now you're involving, most of the time sex with yourself involves a form of pornography. See, in the mind there is no pornography involved. This is what I'm talking about. There's no pornography. But now sex with self, now you're violating yourself. If you're a married person, now you're having a sexual experience outside of with your wife that's breaking covenant. You're now establishing a habit which anything done over a certain amount of time that's enjoyable can become a hard addiction to break. If you're now involving pornography, you are now seeing images that you may never forget the rest of your life. I still have the images in my mind of the first pornography that I had. But of the last time that I stumbled, I can't even remember the person what they looked like. Are you with me? See, when you involve the images, it's a more powerful consequence to the brain. The self-stimulation becomes an addiction. And then the third stage is acting out sex and sexual things with another person. Now, not only are you sinning against yourself, now you're sinning against somebody else. And that's why, uh, looking at James, the Bible says it starts as an evil desire of your heart. Then you're dragged away and enticed. And after the desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. And here you are acting on the sin. And yes, sin is the thought. Sin is the sex by yourself. And sin is the sexual thing with another person. But each one of them comes with a different consequence. The thought in your mind, the consequence is you're not being pure, you're not thinking about the things of God, and you're going to cause yourself to stumble and get into a bad thinking pattern. But it's okay when you're forgiven, there's no guilt. Don't now say, well, I need to go finish what I started in my mind. No, it's okay. You're forgiven. You need to receive forgiveness. But then when you get into the pornography, now you're in an issue that is involving outside things, sex with yourself, and stimulation. Now this becomes an addiction. It becomes harder to break. Now, I say to men who do this, this can disqualify you from the ministry. Women who do this, this can disqualify you from the ministry. Because what it's showing is that you have no discipline over your own body. Maybe the mind, you can repent, you're okay, you're moving forward. But this shows that you're involving things that you don't discipline yourself over, and you're violating yourself. How can we trust you with others when you violate yourself? And then the last consequence of having sex with somebody else is if you're married, you have now cheated on your wife in a form that now it's liable for her to get a divorce. Some have asked, can cheating cause, uh, can cheating be considered uh, pornography? I believe it can. Depends on the extent. And a good pastor should help you through that, but try to redeem the marriage. But I'll tell you this, once you've cheated physically, the Bible gives you good grounds for divorce. And if people don't want to work for that, I don't disagree with them. If someone cheats physically on their husband or wife, that is biblical grounds for divorce because you have made the marriage bed unclean. You have defiled it. The consequence is a lot greater. And then you, in the ministry, you will suffer a harder fall. Now, if you have children, you will cause your children to know you as that for the rest of your life. Daddy cheated on mom. Daddy cheated on mom every young person get that in your mind when you become that you will be that for the rest of your life now in god's kingdom yes you can be forgiven you can become a new creation but even the bible says the reproach will never be forgotten and that's something that you never need to have against you. Why should anyone ever say that about you? Why should anyone ever come to you and make that accusation against you? It should never be said of you. Never be said of you. Amen? Sexual immorality. Avoid it. Stop it in the battle of the mind. Stop it right there. Don't let it turn into pornography and sex with yourself. And don't let it turn into sexual violations with other people. And dating couples, we say keep it above the neck. Be careful on how you kiss, but anything beyond that can and will be considered sin in this church and this Bible college. Amen? The next deadly sin that we see in ministry is greed. We see the greed example in the nice and Sapphire in Acts chapter 5. We see that they had property like uh, Barnabas had property and sold it and brought it to the apostles' feet. And here now they have this same type of thing going on. They have property and they're going to bring it to the apostles' feet. But yet they lie about the amount they're giving to the Lord. Now we don't know for sure if Ananias and Sapphira were leaders in the church. We can make the assumption that they were. But either way they serve as a perfect example of greed. God says to give this much. And you make a change and say, I'll give that much. And God says, it matters. You may think it doesn't matter. You'll be in ministry, you'll have an accountant, or you'll be given a budget, and you may think to yourself, this $5 doesn't matter. 
this $5 I could put towards something that it's not supposed to go towards. Or I'll put it towards these things and then I'll pay back. Or I'll be just a little bit compromising right here. And you can begin to make small, subtle changes in the money and how you spend money and what you do with the budget. And God calls it greed. Misappropriation of money is greed. And I see it happen in ministers' lives all the time. And I'm not just talking about those who own Rolls Royces. I'm talking about in churches where they've designated money towards missions. And pastors say, we're low in our budget. Even though this is designated towards mission, we need to pay our light bill. And they'll take money out of the mission budget and put it to the light bill. That is greed. That is sin in God's eyes. Pastors will have the ability, like Nancy and I do, to carry the card of the church. And they can go out and just say, well, this is my salary, but I want to go out beyond my salary, and I want to get more things. You don't understand until you're in that position, because I've heard it from pastors, how many pastors get tempted with going beyond what has been set up for them, because they say, oh, I need this. My car payment, it needs this, or this thing needs it. Instead of going through the right channels that they have a board to agree upon increasing their salary or presenting it before the church, they get into the place where it's deceptive. It's not what God called good finances. It's greedy. Now, obviously, greed is also when you don't pay your tithes or offerings. There are pastors that say, I don't need to tithe. I'm the pastor. They're paying me to serve God. Whatever I have is what God has given me. I don't need to tithe. That is not true. All of us need to tithe. All of us need to be generous. And then, of course, is the example to do things out of greed, which means now you have people coming to your church. And what a perfect example for us right here with the new building and a grand opening, doubling the size of our congregation. Wouldn't it be so easy now to preach to appease the masses, to preach in such a way where Brother Big Bucks... And sister, salary, keep coming to church, and I can keep getting more in the offering. Wouldn't it be really simple just to keep preaching messages that won't convict them, won't bother them, won't step on their toes? Look at Second Peter chapter 2, verse 3. I remember telling a young couple uh, that was a youth pastor, and I was inviting him to plant churches with us and do awesome things. And you know what? The wife looked at us, and she said, I don't know if I could plant a church. And I said, why? She said, because I don't know if I could rebuke the tithers. A youth pastor's wife, who had been in ministry for many years, told me that. How does that settle in your heart when you hear something like that? can't rebuke tithers because I don't want to offend them. Look at 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 3. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. Made up stories. I've heard people go back into the law and try to say the tithe is 20%. Made up stories. I've heard pastors say that you not only need to give to the church in a tithe, but in a pastor's offering. Made up stories. There's been so many made up stories in the name of fundraising. Made up stories. If you give $100, you'll get $1,000 back this month. You've seen it on TV. You've even seen it probably from people at one time you really respected. People saying to you, it's not just good enough to give your money to the poor as an offering, but you have to give to other ministries as an offering. And so give to my ministry as an offering, and you'll reap a hundredfold harvest. As if they can promise to you what God is going to give you back in return. And now they're saying that they can deliver a certain percentage of what God is going to give to you. My friends, don't let greed come into your heart. And let let me tell you something. Some of the most greedy people I've ever met are some of the poorest people I've ever met. When I've gone into the projects, they were the most greedy people I've ever met. I've lived in the suburbs. I've lived in wonderful communities. They were the most greedy people I ever met because they made money their idol. You might say right now, Pastor, I'm just a student. How could I be greedy? You could be so greedy with the $5 you have in your pocket. You could be so greedy with that little busted up car that you have not letting anybody come in it to, uh, to go to church with you. You could become so greedy with the little bits you have by not being willing to share. You could become very greedy. You could be very greedy right now because you make money an idol. 
Once you get a nice job, you start to lose your passion to pray. You stop to study for your homework because everything is revolving around your job now. And you make it such an idol, your standard of living. I know what it's like to go from one standard of living to living in a house with cockroaches and roaches. And you can get to the point where you say, I deserve more. I deserve more. Why would God ever ask me to have less? I deserve more. What if God told my wife and I to leave this church into somebody else's hands and go start again from zero again in a house of roaches in the ghetto? He could. How could I ever say, I deserve this now? I deserve this platform. I deserve the payment of this church. I'm just a steward in the house of God, just here, as the Bible says, as an unworthy servant. I don't deserve anything, even though I enjoy the success of our church right now. Amen? And it feels good for the first time to have more money than we've ever had and to build buildings and have this stuff more than we've ever had. But what if God says, start over again now? Now you go back to zero. Go back with two people. Go back with Nancy working. Go back. Do it. Do it. Give it all up. That's what Paul did. Paul said, I'm poor, but I keep making everybody rich. Think about that. The person that would take this church would be rich. Well, they'd just say, Pastor, thank you for that. But I go back and start with nothing. And then God says, now give it away. Give it away. And here I am. I'm poor, but I keep making people rich. Think about that. That's what Paul did. Paul said, I will work full time in the ministry. So I want everybody to understand this greed is you saying, I have to be paid in the ministry to do the ministry. If you're thinking to yourself right now, well, I don't know if Metro Praise could be for me after I graduate. I'm now going to go to another ministry and I'm going to take salaries because that's what I need. That's what my degree deserves. You are full of the devil. You are full of greed. And I rebuke that spirit now. Because my wife and I never had that spirit. And why should you demand something from God here that we ourselves never even had? And then you might say, well, I want to walk up the ladder of success. And listen to me, there's nothing wrong like we've talked about believing God for prosperity and believing God for great blessings. But if in your mind, if it doesn't happen in so many years, you're going to quit on God or quit on the ministry, that is greed. What if, like, for the rest of your life, God said to you, as he said to Paul, you will work full-time as a banker. That will be your job. You will benefit the church. The church will never have to pay you. And you'll be able to say as a boast before me and my kingdom that I never had to pay you to do this. You did it because you were compelled to preach. Woe unto you if you didn't. And out of that, you'll have treasures in heaven that pastors who had 401Ks and cars and all that never will experience. Will you be my servant? and do that you see in our mind we think of ministry as 10 shekels in a shirt we need a 401k we need an insurance we need a building and now i'm a full-time minister no you are a full-time minister when you are sent out into full-time ministry period when you have been ordained and trained and sent out to do ministry you're in full-time ministry there it is Whether or not you're getting paid for it yet or not. Still, to this day, there was a time when I was receiving a salary from the church. But then once we went to this building project and SUM began to pay, we shifted our shekels again. So right now, the only thing the church does is give me a housing allowance, which goes to our bills, pays for things like cell phones, gas, and and insurance. But as in how we pay for our house, how we pay for our groceries, comes from what the school does. Once again... Now, you might say, well, Pastor, at least you're getting paid. But, hey, when you work at a job at Burger King, do you go to McDonald's if you're working there and say, you don't have to pay me now. I'll just keep showing up because now Burger King is paying me. No, eventually I should be able to be paid from both places. Amen? But it's not greed in my heart. It's a heart of saying, God, whatever you say. So don't let your heart become greedy. Look at First Peter chapter 5, verse 2, just a few chapters over. What the Bible says about leaders and how you need to have a pure heart and not let things get in the way. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And let me even say this as a testimony. When we started SUM, I never knew that I would ever receive anything from SUM. So the first year SUM went by, and I can say this, and I don't think any cohort can except for maybe Pastor Hank Mariner. Other than that, none of us got paid the first year. We, I didn't even know there was a payment in it. 
until after the second year, hanging out with Dr. Miller. Then he said, yes, we're going to kick back to the church, and we're going to pay the cohort director. All that I did the first year, every volunteerism that you saw was volunteer unto the Lord for a Bible college to be established here. Now, I'm not saying that for a pen on the back. I'm just showing you it doesn't matter what God has called me to do in life. I'm willing to sacrifice. Now, you might say, Pastor, I'm sacrificing more. The degree you sacrifice is between you and God. He, may didn't, he maybe didn't ask me to do what you're doing, and he may not ask you to do what I'm doing. My thing is don't have a heart of greed and be willing to serve and do whatever it takes. Amen? And the last thing that I wanted to talk to you today, we talked about gold and greed, uh, or excuse me, we talked about gals and greed. Now I want to talk about false doctrine, so we're kind of leaving the glory thing, girls, gold, and glory. But uh, technically it could still be under the glory, because uh, I believe when people start touching the glory, they start developing false doctrines. And this happens in the ministry. And once again, you may say to yourself right now, this cannot happen. But I could show you a tape of Carlton Pearson, a gifted African-American who who went to Oral Roberts University, graduated, started a church, became one of the fastest growing churches in that part of Tulsa, and pastored for 20 years, led the uh, Pentecostal uh, Zusa Street revival meetings uh, as their anniversary years went by. He wasn't at the original. But the anniversary meetings in uh, Azusa Street, uh, you know, in uh, California, Los Angeles, had worship albums out. One of the guys I used to like to, you know, dance to, he ended up denying the existence of hell. Because he couldn't believe anymore that God would send people to hell. So he became a universalist, which means he believes that everybody ultimately is saved. The story that I want you to see here is 2 Timothy 2.17. Hymenius and Philetus, 2 Timothy 2.17, talks about how they had turned their backs on good doctrine. And this can happen in the ministry. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that the Lord has given you. And these things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, you know, entrust these to other people. But keep going. He's telling them, you need to preach. You need to do the right thing. But go on down to verse 17. Their teaching will spread like, oh, go to verse 16. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Now, everybody look at me. This ungodly chatter is more than just people getting around gossiping. This is an attitude of elitism, and they begin to chatter about their doctrines, and they cause division in the church. This is the context of what it means. Did you see, Pastor? Pastor's talking about, uh, you know, you've got to be baptized in the Holy Spirit to operate in the gifts. Well, I don't know if I really believe that. Do you believe that? Well, I don't think we need to speak in tongues. Now, I'm not saying this one is going to damn your ministry, this doctrine, but I'm just saying that's what he's talking about, godless chatter. Instead of coming before the church, asking the questions, praying, and if you disagree with it, it's okay, find another church. But what you do is you start chattering with people. Or someone goes to another church and they start saying, you know, I, I don't know if I believe that there's a hell anymore. What do you think? And then maybe the other staff members get together. Oh, I don't think we should be against homosexuality anymore. And they start this godless chatter. That's what it's talking about. That's what he's saying you need to avoid. Of course, gossiping and slander and those things. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about leaders changing doctrine. I'll tell you why. Keep reading. Avoid godless chatter because those indulging it will become more and more ungodly. They're teaching, hello, they're teaching that they've been chattering about. Their little ungodly teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenius and Philetus, who have wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. The resurrection has already taken place. Maybe they had a Gnostic thought, which means we've already been become as glorious as we can. Sin has been done away with. So do as much as you want because God has already saved you. And that is what a lot of these cults teach today, is that there's no more existence of sin because Jesus destroyed it. And that's the way they play on it. Did Jesus destroy sin? Yes, he destroyed sin. So there's no more sin then. So I can go and do whatever I want. He fulfilled the law, right? So the law is fulfilled. Well, there's grace. Hey, I can do what I want. Well, that's what they probably began to teach by saying the resurrection already happened as they began having a license to sin. I want to warn that you would never turn your faith away from the true doctrines of the church. If you have questions about the Trinity, 
If you have questions about the Word of God, if you have questions about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, ask the questions here. Receive the teachings here. And if you have issues uh, like what we like to say in the church, there are close-handed issues. These are called the fundamentals. We never change on these, and these will cost you your soul. If you begin to disbelieve in the Word of God, you disbelieve in heaven and hell, you disbelieve in God's nature, you disbelieve in salvation by faith alone, these things will cost you your salvation. These are close-handed issues, fundamentals. Then there are open-handed issues, such issues as uh, how often you take communion. Do you use grape juice or real wine? Uh, what do you do with women in the ministry? Does the baptism of the Holy Spirit mean everybody speaks in tongues, etc.? When's the rapture going to happen? Well, these are things that people can disagree about, but we shouldn't fight about and have godless chatter. You should have the answers explained to you in the church. Prayfully seek that you can come to a peace, and if you can't leave in peace, and find a body of believers that find it to be suiting the way you do it, but then don't become cocky and say, I'm with Paul, and then the other one says, I'm with Apollos. We're pre-tribbers, we're post-tribbers, amen. Don't get cocky about it. Just pray for the body of Christ to be blessed, amen. So avoid false doctrine. And now, in closing, I want to give you the warning, because the Bible says not to take uh, those who are teaching, should not do it lightly. Turn with me now to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 5, verse 19. Because what will happen to you if you as a leader do sin? What will be the consequence? I want to put the fear of the Lord in your heart today. It says, do not entertain, start in First Timothy five nineteen. do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. So the way this is supposed to be done is that when we become elders, we are not to be privately accused of our sin. We are to be accused of our sin with two or three witnesses. And as people know in our church, this is how it works. If you ever have an ought against me that is serious against the violation of what I'm supposed to be, what I act like I am, you're supposed to find other elders in our presbytery to agree with you or at least take your side and bring the accusation to me. And then if I do not present any answer, or probably even at that time, we'll have Brother Anthony there. But if it's even remotely true, he'll already be there. If it's totally outlandish, I'll defend myself, and the elders will judge on my integrity if that's true. But like I said, we'll all have him there anyway. But since our bishop is Brother Anthony, at that time of the accusation, he will then decide if what I'm saying is true. And then our bylaws say that if it is true, I'm removed from the ministry, put under his care, and he makes the final decision when I come back. Amen? And this is your church. This is how we protect you. Now, the same thing with you. Now, if you come personally and admit your sin, well, then we don't need two or three witnesses. Hey, I did it. And praise God, out of the ten of the ten we've talked about, all of them came and confessed their own sin. Amen? So we thank God that at least in this church there's a heart of holiness where people are convicted and they bring their sin to the Lord so that it's not exposed and brought before them in another way. So it shows they have a heart for God. Uh, but keep going. I just lost my space on my phone. What is it? Thank you. I don't know how that happened. Sorry about that. First Timothy 5.19. Technology sometimes messes you up. Do not entertain an accusation brought against the elder unless it's brought by two or three witnesses. Then those who sin are to be rebuked publicly so that the others may take warning. So now it's actually biblical that we rebuke you publicly. Now publicly can be in one of two ways. It can be in front of the entire congregation or it can be in front of the other elders and the leaders of the church. We've actually done it both ways and now I'm going back to doing it privately among the elders because I don't want to bring bring it before our church anymore, because we've seen it happen so many times over the last year, ten times, that it's actually not really gotten to the point where it takes warning anymore. It begins to discourage the group of believers as if they can't even live for God anymore. It happened so many times that people began in the church to say, can I even live for Christ? I'm so afraid that I can't even do it, because so-and-so can't do it, so-and-so can't do it. But do we lower the standard? No. We ask everyone to uphold the standard. And then once again, if I said to you right now, here is a uh, fiery pit, and here is a plank to walk across, and everybody has to walk across. You know, let's say there's something crazy going on here, some type of movie thing, and we all have to walk across, and ten people walk in front of you and they fall. Does that mean you want to fall now? Does that mean you're just going to just jump right into the fire? No, you know you're going to get up there and do your best. Well, do your best for God and not give in to the sin of, of this world, and you'll live holy. I've done it, and you can do it. Amen? Not to say I haven't sinned, but I haven't disqualified myself, and you can do it as well. 
And it says in verse 21, I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. Let's all stand to our feet. Would you come to the keyboard, Lauren, and just play something on the piano softly, please? James chapter 3, verse 1 says, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. You will be judged more strictly. I will be judged more strictly. Be careful on how you act. The first sin that we talked about out of the three deadly sins was sexual immorality. Avoid sexual immorality at all costs. How do you do that? The battle of the mind. Keep it right here. Hate sin? Don't ever make an excuse to be lustful up here, but keep it right here. If you find yourself going to number two, having sex with yourself, involving pornography, you need to repent, you need to be in accountability, and you need to take the consequences that come with that. And that's serious. Number three, if now you're involving other people, fiancé, boyfriend, girlfriend relationships, lesbian relationships, homosexual relationships, it doesn't matter. You're involving other people. You need to confess, and you need to step down. You'll have to step out of school for a semester or however long they feel, and you will have to suffer that consequence. My office is open today, and my email is available to those listening. It's better for you to confess sexual morality now than to carry it with you later. Okay? If you have an issue with sex with yourself and anything in that area, if you're a woman, you can see my wife, and she'll help you. If you're having issues with anything involving somebody else, you need to come. And if you're a lady, you need to bring my wife so that she can be there. And we need to get the junk out. I would rather lose you as a student so you could keep your salvation than to have you be a hypocrite student, than to have you be a student that's not right. The second thing is greed. Some of you right now are students, and you're already having to make decisions how you're going to live with your finances. Lily, I want you to stand in front, please. You're giggling like it's a comedy show. It's not. I don't want them sitting together in chapel anymore. You have a decision to make right now as a student. Will I tithe? Will I be a giver? Some have asked me, should I tithe off my loan? Should I tithe off the very loan that I get? I would say this. You're actually paying back the tithe, and the money you're getting to pay off the tithe, you're, I mean, to, to pay back, you're tithing off of. You know, so I give you $5. Now, to pay me back that $5, you have to make $5, and you tithe off that $5. So I would say not necessarily... But if it's money that's coming to you and you're spending it on personal things, to be right with God, just in my conscience, even though I don't know what it's like to receive a loan, not necessarily maybe what's going to the school, I'm just ask, I'm answering the question the way it would be asked to me and what I would do. I would if it becomes my money and now I'm spending it. It doesn't matter if I tithe twice. I wouldn't have a clear conscience spending the money after my school bill has been paid and it comes to me. That's why with you here in the, in, in the dorms, we want you to pay your school bill, pay your loans, and then uh, the, the dorm bill, and then whatever you have left is yours. That is what I would tithe off of, if you're asking me. That's what I would do. That's what I would do. But I would avoid all greed. And that means in your heart, you're not setting up parameters. My, when I was in your guys' situation, I was already determined I was going to go work with David Hogan and go plant churches and, and live out of a backpack. Get that in your mind. I would rather you have those dreams. I'll go hike across the country. I'll serve you in the church. I'll get a job and, and just do what it takes. And then lastly, which seems like the most far out, but guard your heart against false doctrine. Guard your heart against things that chatter. Just that spirit of division. Some of you have already seen it. I know, maybe not necessarily here, but people in our church or people you've met along the journey of Christianity, this, that little chatter. You see what I'm saying? And they're cowards. They're cowards. They never want to publicly debate the pastor, do they? Because the pastor in our church, myself, I challenge all of them at any time. I just saw another person who used to go to our church who now denies the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I wrote on his little article about it. I'd love for you to debate this, bring it to our Bible class, because I like, you know, nobody ever really stands for that. So come and bring that here. We'll treat you with respect. He deleted my comment and then wrote me back and said, I don't debate. I just want you to know where I stand. Well, that's okay. But you're kind of coming off a little antagonistic. You see, they want to teach without being taught. Be careful with that spirit. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm not saying I'm all-knowing. I'm just saying that when people want to rumble and tumble, 
you know, and they, and they want to get down in doctrine. Well, get it out in the open, not that little godless chatter in the dorm. You know, you have questions about that. That's okay. It's okay to question things. It's okay to doubt things. I'm talking there's a difference when somebody says, I know things now. You get what I'm saying? I know what the church don't know. I know what the professors don't know. I want to chatter with you about that. You see what I'm saying? little chatterbox. That's what you need to tell them. That stuff is like gangrene, and we're cutting it off. If you don't know what gangrene is like, look it up online. Gangrene is a deadly disease, and once you get it, you got to cut it off. That's why you kick people out to church. Warn and device a person once. A second time, Titus says, after that, have nothing to do with them. Be careful with that spirit. Amen? Father, I pray for this uh, group of leaders, elders, soon to be. Uh, just God bless them, Lord. God, we're in the shadow right now of this uh, thing in the news, God. What a tragedy, God. God, I pray that they'll remember a message like this for the rest of their life. That, Lord, they won't take ministry lightly. That worship won't be lightly. That finances won't be lightly. That they'll have a fear of God. That sexual perversion won't be light to them. That lusting won't be light. That God just chattering, God, will convict them. I pray that they'll run the race and finish what you've started in their life. Let them run the race, God. I pray that we would lose none here in the name of Jesus. Lay your hand on somebody's shoulder and pray that they will finish the race. If I had time, we would get into groups right now and pray for each other. Just pray that the people to the right and left of you will finish the race. Come on, pray for each other. We pray against any perversion. We pray against any pornography. We pray against any greed, false doctrine. We pray that the Holy Ghost would guard what He's entrusted to us here. That every person will make it. That every person will make it. No tragedies here. No news headlines here. Nobody dropping out of Bible college here. Holiness, honesty, integrity.